Good morning. How y'all doing? Glad to know some of you uh, were able to make the time zone shift. Uh, I was telling some folks this morning that I've uh, put in a request to God to convince the powers that be to just eliminate the whole uh, time change thing. It, um, not a big deal for me personally, although when my alarm went off at 6 this morning and it felt like 5, that was uh, a little rough. Uh, but uh, for those of us who have children, that, that shift, even just an hour, it's rough. It's rough. Uh, anyhow, um, and we were out late last night. So there's a bunch of us that went out with Tim and Anne Marie, uh, a children's ministry event to go stargazing. Tim brought his huge telescope. It was awesome. The moon was so bright. Tim just said, well, I can blind you and show you the moon. And he wasn't joking. You look through that little eyepiece and this bright, bright moon staring back at you, which, by the way, he told us he'll bring his telescope to the retreat again. So, uh, yeah, lots of opportunity for that. Um, second Sunday of Lent. Uh, I uh, want to once again invite all of you to continue to journey with us uh, in the Lent calendar and to be reading the text uh, that we're going to be looking at that Sunday each week together. And um, if everyone just did that, I'd be thrilled. Uh, other practices in the Lent calendar that you can engage in and would love to hear your stories around that and how that's going for you and uh, different experiences around that. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 8. We're looking at Matthew 8 and 9 for six Sundays. And last week we looked at this story of a leper coming to Jesus and Jesus reaching out and touching this leper and healing him. And this Sunday we're looking at uh, the second story in Matthew chapter 8, which has to do with a Roman centurion coming to Jesus. So before we look at that story, let's say a word of prayer together. God, thank you. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you that your grace is ever-present. I pray, God, that as we look at this story this morning, that you would speak to us, that we would see this story with new eyes. If, if this story is familiar with us, that you would show us something new. And more than ever, allow us to know your healing presence in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So the text says, when Jesus has, had entered Capernaum. Now, uh, Jesus, um, we, we think that Jesus spent a lot of time in Jerusalem because the gospel narratives spend so much time with the end of Jesus' life, which all takes place in Jerusalem. And Jesus goes to Jerusalem at different times uh, during his ministry, but most of his time was spent in the Galilee region, and he kind of made Capernaum his home base. And so Jesus uh, has just given this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, and he comes down into the valley uh, and enters Capernaum. And a centurion came to him asking for help. And so Capernaum, I want to show you a picture of this. It, this is an aerial view of Capernaum. It's a uh, small fishing village. This, what you're seeing is the excavations of Capernaum. They have excavated all this from the first century and, and what Capernaum looked like in the first century, this small fishing village uh, right on the Sea of Galilee. 
And so uh, you can see the Sea of Galilee right in the center there. Capernaum is on the northwest side. And then just eight and a half miles down the coast, Tiberias is uh, where Herod Agrippa's uh, palace was. And so after King Herod, when Jesus was born, after that Herod died, uh, there were three Herods that rose up and shared power for a while. And the, the Herod that ruled over the Galilee region was Herod Agrippa, and his palace is right there, eight and a half miles away in Tiberias. So, uh, as you know, in the first century, the Roman Empire was in power. And this Roman centurion comes to Jesus asking for help. There are a number of things in this story this morning that are really surprising. Uh, and this one is the first, that a Roman centurion, uh, a member uh, of what the Jewish people would consider the enemy, that, that this Roman centurion comes to Jesus and asks for help. This is a man, as we'll learn, who has great authority, who has great power, and he comes to Jesus and he asks this traveling, itinerant Jewish rabbi for help. This is the first, like, wow moment already of this story. Uh, how many of you have trouble asking for help? Yeah, uh, I, I think a lot of us do, don't we? Uh, when we recognize, I, I could really use some help with this. And even if someone comes to us and says, can I help you with that? Like my general response is, oh, no, 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 I got it. I'm good. I'm good. What, what is that? That, that deep-seated pride that keeps us from actually asking for help. Here's a Roman centurion, a man of great power in the first century, and he comes to this traveling Jewish rabbi asking for help. He's asking for help. Now, before we get into the story, I want to remind us of something that's just taken place in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just given this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he, there's a section of this teaching where he talks about Roman soldiers. Uh, but you have to know a, a Roman law that was going on to know he was talking about Roman soldiers. So notice this. Uh, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Uh, we've taken this last verse and we've kind of developed this, this saying, go the extra mile, right? Uh, just go the extra mile. Just be a servant, go the extra mile, uh, do what it takes. That's a great phrase. It's a great phrase and a great kind of motto to embed into our lives, to go the extra mile. Uh, but what Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Jesus is taking this from a Roman law that said that if a Roman soldier walked up to you and said, carry my gear, you were required by Roman law to carry that gear for a mile. You didn't have to carry it any further, but the Roman law said you must carry that Roman soldier's gear for one mile, and then he could force someone else to carry it for a mile. Jesus is saying, 
uh, take the upper hand in the whole situation. Carry it two miles. Just shock that Roman soldier by saying, I'll carry it two for you. Because you are forced by law to carry it one, what if you transcended the whole thing with love and said, I'll, I'll carry it two? Uh, Jesus is teaching us to shock people with our love, grace, and humility. Uh, this is absolutely shocking. If you were a common Jew in the first century, your posture towards Roman soldiers was not favorable. They are occupying your land. They are oppressive. And Jesus says, carry their gear two miles. See what happens. Shock people with your love, with your grace, with your humility. So, so the question for me, when this Roman soldier comes to Jesus, the, the question for me is, does Jesus practice what he preaches? Does Jesus, how is Jesus going to respond in the face of this Roman centurion? Will he live into his words? And of course, we all know the answer, right? It's Jesus. Will we, will we live in to the words of Jesus and shock people with the love, grace, and humility of Jesus, even in the face of someone like a Roman soldier? Uh, this Roman soldier comes to Jesus with great humility and asks for help. He says, Lord, whoa, shock number two. Roman centurion has just referred to this Jewish rabbi as Lord. Who's Lord in Rome? Caesar. Caesar's Rome. <laughs> Caesar's Lord. <laughs> Caesar is Lord. And other high-ranking officials can be referred to as Lord. But for a Roman centurion to come to Jesus, and the first thing he says is, Lord. Declaring Jesus as Lord. This is shock number two for us. Oh, my goodness, what kind of Roman centurion is this who would refer to this Jewish rabbi as Lord? Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Uh, this is another shock. Why? Why do you care? You're a Roman centurion. Why do you even care that your servant is suffering? You, you could just discard your servant to get another servant. Why even care? Uh, and if there is some care there, why, why go yourself? Why not send someone else? That this Roman centurion goes himself to Jesus on behalf of his servant and says to Jesus, 
Lord, my servant is suffering terribly. Uh, there is something different about this Roman centurion than most Roman centurions, most Roman soldiers in the Roman world who would rule with an iron fist, who would rule by brutality, who would use their power to abuse power. Here is a Roman centurion who somehow seems to grasp the teachings from the Sermon on the Mount and this upside-down kingdom that Jesus has come to inaugurate. Here is a Roman centurion who seems to grasp that my position of power is to be used to serve. And I have a servant, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve my servant. He, he's allowed everything to be turned upside down and somehow recognize that in, in God's economy, the winners get to choose to become losers for the sake of the losers to become winners. My five-year-old son has been really interested the last couple of weeks in learning how to play Uno. Uh, for years, he would always be on my team. And uh, I'd play the girls, and Knox would always be on my team. But in the last couple of weeks, he wants to be on his own team. And so uh, I'm teaching him how to play Uno, and it's just him and I playing. And so uh, we have our own set of rules for how two people play Uno. Uh, but because I want him to uh, do well and continue to be interested in Uno, as I'm playing him the other day, I'm uh, stacking the deck and giving him some good cards to ensure that he will win. And he wins three games in a row. And after the third game, he says to me, Daddy, I'm really good at winning, and you're really good at losing. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, time to knock his ego down a little bit. I, I need to teach my son to lose and fail as well. Uh, it's not all about winning. And so I don't stack the deck. I shuffle it really well, deal out the cards we play. He beats me. <laughs> It's like, how did that just happen? In, in God's economy, things get turned upside down. And, and this Roman centurion somehow sees it. And Jesus responds, shall I come and heal him? Uh, in the Greek, there's no... Uh, pronunciation here, so we don't know. Was this a question? Some translations have it as a question. Some simply say, I will come and heal him. We, we don't know if it's a question or not. Uh, my translation has it as a question. You, shall I come and heal him? Uh, regardless, we see great willingness on the part of Jesus to engage this outsider, a Gentile, uh, an enemy of the Jewish people, Jesus engages him and is willing to heal his servant. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Uh, this Roman centurion has this incredible capacity to understand authority. I, I'm under authority, and, and then I got a bunch of people under my authority. Uh, centurion comes from centuria, where we get the English word century, so a hundred. 
so a Roman centurion had a hundred soldiers under him. So this guy was in charge of a hundred soldiers. And who knows how many servants. He says, listen, I, I know how authority works. I know that I can tell this soldier go and he goes and this servant come and he comes. I, I can tell whoever I want under me to do whatever I want them to do. And he looks at this Jewish rabbi, uh, this man who is a part of a people who have been taken over by Rome. What, why would this man have any authority whatsoever? But this centurion has seen something in Jesus. And he, he simply says, just, just speak the word. Just speak the word. I know, I've, I've seen enough, and I believe. Jesus, all you have to do is speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Uh, another shock. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. What kind of Roman centurion who's in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers looks at this man who has, a, he's a part of a defeated country. He's, a, he's defeated. He looks at this Jewish rabbi and doesn't see a defeated man. He doesn't see a defeated country. He, he says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now, there's a couple of things going on here. One is he, he sees in Jesus great authority. Whether he recognizes Jesus' divinity, whether he understands the idea of Messiah or not, we're not fully sure. It seems like he might. But, but what he recognizes is here is a man who possesses somehow God's power in amazing ways and has great authority. He also is incredibly culturally sensitive. What he recognizes is that for a Jew to enter the home of a Gentile would make that Jew unclean in the Jewish religious system. And so he simply says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I, I don't want you to risk becoming unclean in your religious system. Just say the word. I know you have the authority to do it. All you have to do is simply speak the word. And Jesus responds. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. That, that shock, I don't know what we're on. Shock number four, maybe? Uh, what does it take to shock Jesus? Jesus is shocked. He's amazed. Uh, this is the Son of God we're talking about here. This is the Messiah. This is God in the flesh. Is amazed. Uh, I, would, I would love to amaze Jesus. Wouldn't you? Uh, Jesus heard that he was amazed. And said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. In Israel. 
The people he came to. Jesus himself is a Jew. He came to Israel, to the Jewish people. He says, everywhere I've been, I haven't seen this kind of faith. It, it is a, a faith that is belief, uh, but it, it's not just intellectual faith. It's not just, uh, I believe you can heal my servant. It's also lived faith. Faith is something we embody. Faith is something we live. It's not just something we hold intellectually. And here is this man living out servant-like faith, even in the midst of holding a position of great power. He's living his faith in this Jewish rabbi and living it well. And Jesus is just shocked, so amazed. Because Jesus will say elsewhere, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This Roman centurion is certainly wealthy. The position he holds, great wealth, great power. And Jesus says, there's a place in the kingdom for this man who lives out his faith so well. And he says, I, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, another shock. Imagine you're the crowd and you're hearing this. Imagine Pharisees and Sadducees in the crowd hearing this. They are shocked at Jesus' words. He's reminding them of what the Jewish prophets of old have said, that the Gentiles will always be included in God's movement. The Gentiles will always be included in this thing God is doing in the world that, that uh, Jesus came to inaugurate in new and beautiful ways. And Jesus says, there, there are those from the East and the West who will come and dine. And then he names the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jesus is making everyone question their idea of who's in and who's out. Jesus is giving a warning to those who claim to already have a seat reserved for them with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and saying, there's going to be people in those seats that you had no idea would be in those seats. Uh, Jesus is always inviting in those who have been excluded, and those who have been living in a place of privilege and entitlement and excluding others, he's saying, you better think long and hard about who's in and who's out. Uh, Jesus' harsh words about being cast out into darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, this is common language around Gehenna. Gehenna was the, the garbage dump in Jerusalem. Dark, fire all the time at the garbage dump. Uh, Wild dogs, gnashing teeth, fighting each other for scraps of food. And Jesus is saying, uh, those who have been excluding, you might be excluded. 
Jesus is simply reminding people that everyone is invited to the banquet. Everyone is invited to the banquet. And those who aren't in the banquet are those who chose to not come to the banquet. It's like the prodigal son. The elder brother is standing outside of the party because he's so upset about who got to have the party. I'm not going into that party with my younger brother who squandered everything. Not me. Jesus is simply saying, there's going to be people from the east and the west all over the place who are going to be in the party. Do you want to be in the party? Or would you rather continue to exclude and have your idea of who's in and who's out? Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Uh, Jesus just spoke the word, let it be done. Let it be done just as you believed. And his servant was healed. A uh, couple of thoughts for us as we come to the table. I wonder what it looks like for us this morning to imagine ourselves in this story, uh, this centurion coming to Jesus. Uh, what, what shocks you about this story? What shocks you about this centurion, this man in a position of great power, privilege, wealth, and how he chooses to use that power? Uh, I, I wonder for us this morning what it looks like to ask Jesus, uh, how could I amaze you today, Jesus? How, how could I shock you by living into this kingdom way of being in the world that you invite us all into? How could I shock you with my faith? Uh, how is Jesus challenging your own faith journey this morning with this story? Uh, as you come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, uh, I simply invite you to ask Jesus, how can I amaze you by living into the way you're calling me to? And uh, secondly, perhaps we reflect on, on this banquet, this microcosm of the great banquet to come. We do this in remembrance of Jesus' death on the cross for us and the fact that he conquered death and rose again. And he told us, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, and that we're to do this in remembrance of him until he comes. And we all together with those from the East and the West celebrate at God's great banquet table. Uh, we do this in remembrance of Jesus and we do this with great longing and anticipation for the great banquet feast to come. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your great love. Thank you that you meet everyone where they're at. You, you go from the bottom of the heap with a man afflicted with leprosy to the top of the food chain with a Roman centurion. You don't care who it is, 
where they come from, what their background is. Uh, if we simply come to you, humbling ourselves and asking for help, you always meet us where we are at. I pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit and empower us to live with such great humility. I pray that we would amaze you with our lived faith. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, for your words, for your actions, for the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And we look with great anticipation to the great banquet feast. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.